I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth Admission, we're going to take a trip to California's newest lake, Tulare Lake in the Central Valley, which grew out of flooding from this year's record storms. After drying up for many years, Tulare Lake is now half the size of Lake Tahoe. It's so big that in some spots you can't see across it. And the snow in the Sierra Nevada hasn't even really started melting. The wet winter was good news in a lot of places, but here, between Fresno and Bakersfield, it's brought unprecedented problems, particularly to farmers who were growing trees and field crops on land that's now underwater. We're talking about potentially billions of dollars in damage. We're also talking about a hit to the food supply from a region that produces much of the fruits, vegetables, and nuts consumed around the country. That, in turn, could affect the prices that you pay. My guest to talk about all of this is Chronicle reporter Curtis Alexander, who covers climate change, the environment, and water. He's been making trips down to Tulare Lake in recent weeks. Curtis, thanks for joining us again on Fifth and Mission. I want to start by asking you about your visits. What's it like down there? Well, there's a lot of water down there, Damien. I mean, normally you drive these two-lane roads through the southern San Joaquin Valley, and you're looking at nothing but flat farmland on either side. Now you'll be driving down a road and you might see a road close sign ahead on the side of the road and you'll keep driving and all of a sudden the road in front of you is covered in water. And like you said, you look across it, you can barely see the other side. Maybe there's barns poking out, mailboxes poking out, electrical lines poking out, but you're essentially on the shore of this huge inland lake. And when it's windy out, there's waves and white caps. It does indeed look like a small sea out there. And remind us, Curtis, how exactly this lake formed out of this year's storms. Well, it's been a really wet winter, as we all know, living in California. The flooding in the southern San Joaquin Valley really came out of the series of storms in early March. You had just a lot of wet weather especially up in the Southern Sierra, which is where the rivers are that feed the Tulare Lake Basin. And so much water poured down those rivers that the dams and the irrigation networks, the canals, the aqueducts, and ultimately the ditches and the levees just could not contain all the water that was coming down. And uh, as a result, the water flowed to the low point, which is the historic lake bed. And before the flooding, it was not a lake. It is farmland, like you said. And there's a few small communities down there that are barely protected by levees, but that's where the water ended up. But Curtis, it was a lake at another time in history? Yeah, like 150 years ago, it was Tulare Lake. And uh, I, I remember looking at some old maps of California from like the mid 1800s and seeing this like huge blob between Bakersfield and Fresno and being like, what is that? And uh, it is the historic Tulare Lake. It was as much as 800 square miles. It was mostly like wetlands, like tule reeds and cattails around the shores. But People had boats down there. There were ports in some of the towns where there was a ferry that ran between them. There were sailboats out there. Obviously, it was big for migrating birds. And before European settlement, there were tule elk and antelope and deer and a whole host of wildlife out there. So, Curtis, when you've been down there, I know that you have visited farmers who work this land that's now underwater. How has the flooding been affecting them? 
Well, the fields that are flooded can no longer be farmed, obviously. And um, we're looking at like 100 square miles of land that is flooded, the majority of that being farmland. It's a big area for canning tomatoes, for alfalfa, for cotton, and there are some pistachios, tree crops down there as well. So a lot of that farmland just isn't being farmed right now. When the water came in, the farmers have the ability to move water through their irrigation canals. And what they tried to do is move it to fields that have the least valuable crops, to alfalfa, say, or cotton, and you know keep it from getting to the more valuable crops like pistachios and almonds. So you're really seeing some hits to some of these crops where the fields were flooded. And farmers obviously um, are not happy about that. You said trying to flood certain fields and not others. How does that even work? The water that is used there is is coming down from the mountains, as we talked about, and it's channeled through these ditches. And um, there are gates on these ditches, and you can literally you know, lift up the gates and move the water from one place to another. Most of the land there is privately owned, so you have these huge irrigation networks that just channel the water to the fields. This year, they lost a lot of that ability because there was just so much water in the system, but they have been able to move the water around, you know, somewhat. And you mentioned a few crops. I mean, what kinds of crops are we talking about here? What are some of the crops that are perhaps more valuable than others? Well, the crops that are the most valuable are are probably the nut crops. We all know almonds are very popular right now. We see a lot of them grown in California, pistachios. Because there's a lot of almonds and pistachios grown across the rest of California, We're not going to see, from what I'm told, talking to economists and agricultural experts, a big hit in the nut crop. The other industry that was severely affected by these floods was the dairy industry, milk production. There's a lot of dairies in the southern San Joaquin Valley. I mean, California is the top dairy state in the nation, and these are the top counties down in the southern San Joaquin Valley for milk production. During the March storms, it it was pretty crazy down there, talking to a couple of the dairymen who went through the flooding, there was more than 100,000 cows that had to be moved out of the dairies because of the floods. There were literally cows up to their, you know, rear end in water. And you just had hundreds of trucks and trailers pouring in to move these cows. Fortunately, I didn't hear of any cow casualties because there was so much help in moving these cattle and you have to milk cows at the same time every day. You can't just let them go. They were able to continue most of the milking. And um, from what I'm hearing, it's not going to be that much of a cut to the dairy supply this year. So even though the dairy industry was hit hard and a lot of facilities were overwhelmed with water and the industry is estimating up to $20 billion in damages, it may not hit dairy production all that much. And then finally, I would just say processing tomatoes are the other big thing. The tomatoes that go into like pizza sauces and salsa and and uh, ketchup and a lot of like the processed tomato goods, a lot of that comes from the southern San Joaquin Valley. And those processing tomatoes were already in short supply because of the drought. And with the flooding, it's just putting more toll on the production of those canning tomatoes. So those could be more expensive and the products made from those tomatoes could be more expensive at the grocery stores as well. All right, Curtis, I have a few more questions, but I want to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Curtis Alexander from the Chronicle on fifth and mission right after this. 
You're listening to Fifth and Mission. If you have a comment or there's a story you think we should cover, let us know. You can email us at fifth, that's F-I-F-T-H, at sfchronicle.com, or leave us a voicemail at 415-777-6156. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle reporter Curtis Alexander, who's been making trips to the New Lake Tulare Lake in the Central Valley, which formed out of this year's intense flooding. Curtis, bottom line, what kind of hit are we talking about ultimately to the farming industry and the food industry? Well, the farming industry in this region is going to be hit pretty hard. Kings County, which is where the lake bed is, is looking at 10, 20, 25% cut in crop production. Outside that area, there are a couple other counties that have been affected by the flooding, but because California is such a big state, $50 billion, roughly, agricultural economy. The hits to one region won't necessarily have a big hit on the overall economy. However, the crops that are produced in this area are going to have a toll. And we were already talking about uh, severe inflation, as everyone knows. What about food prices out of this situation? Yeah, food prices are probably going to go up for a lot of the crops produced here, as well as crops produced along the Central Coast. You'll remember that the Central Coast received the brunt of the atmospheric river storms that blew into California in January. They got hit with flooding again in March, just like the Tulare Lake Basin, and a lot of the fields there went underwater as well. So between those two regions, there will be some limits in how much crop gets to the stores, to the farmer's markets and so forth. So you will see some increase in prices. There was already food inflation. There's a whole international market now for crops, as we know. So the prices aren't affected necessarily directly because of the floods, or that's just one factor of many, I should say, that go into the pricing. So it's hard to say exactly how much the prices will go up of certain goods. Just going back to the Central Coast for a minute, 90, 95% of the strawberries that are bought in the United States are grown along coastal California, a lot of those in Monterey County. So you are going to probably see some higher prices for strawberries. The same for leafy greens, which are grown along the Salinas River, spinach, arugula, lettuces, and so forth. So obviously a lot of devastation. I mean, that's going to hit perhaps jobs, distribution, some of the labor that is there seasonally in the Central Valley that's so critical. Are there any positives, though, to having a farmland flooded like this? We mentioned farm workers. Before we get into the positives, I want to just say that when I was down there, I did meet a couple farm workers who normally go out to the fields and uh, work, and they're paid by the day or the hour. They just weren't getting work. And I can imagine if fields in the Tulare Basin are going to be flooded, they're saying a year or two, you're looking at a lot of livelihoods there that are going to be affected over the long term. As for the benefits of all the flooding, there will be groundwater recharge. I mean, we talked about subsidence and the lack of groundwater in California during the droughts. Farmers and communities, urban water agencies for that matter, rely on a lot more groundwater pumping and the aquifers have gotten sucked up in a lot of places, nowhere more so than the Tulare Basin where there's a lot of agriculture that's been pumping this water. So when the water just kind of sits on the land, it soaks in 
to the ground and gets back into the aquifer. Part of the problem in the Tulare Basin is you've got what's called Corcoran clay, which is highly impermeable. So the water doesn't necessarily go straight down into the aquifer or it can take a really long time to get there. There are some active fields and drills where they can move water from the surface into the ground, but those are limited. But there will be some, at least some groundwater recharge over the course of the next few months. All right. Getting back to the creation of the lake, let's go bigger picture. Is the lake right now shrinking? Is it growing? Is there an end in sight? Well, the lake got really large in March because of the storms that were up in the Sierra and sending water down into the basin. Since the wet March, the lake has not grown and it's even receded in some areas because there hasn't been as much water coming out of the mountains. And because a lot of the irrigation districts in agriculture there has been able to put the water to use. However, there's so much snow still left up in the Sierra Nevada. Last week when the Department of Water Resources, the state did their snow survey, there was still more than 80% of the snowpack in the mountains. And that snowpack is going to melt right down to the basin. So they're worried that just like in March, when that snow comes down, it's going to overwhelm the water systems and head back into the fields where uh, the water already sits. This year in the Southern Sierra, there was something like three times the average amount of snow for a year. So we're talking about a lot of water that needs to come down. And we're talking about July, August, September. I mean, give us a timeline. There's four rivers that flow into the basin, uh, the Kings on the north, the Kern on the south, the Thule and Cahuilla rivers in between. They all have different peak times, times at which they peak. But in general, you're looking at like the end of May, early June for the peak. But like you said, it's going to keep coming down through July and August for sure. So when does the lake go away? They're saying that uh, it could be two years. The last time the lake emerged to the extent that it is today was 1983. And it took two years then for the lake to evaporate. It doesn't sink because of the clay, the soils, the geology. It has to evaporate. And uh, it does get really, really warm down there. But all that water, it's it's a lot of water. The sun isn't going to dry it out very quickly. And if the lake gets bigger than it is now, it could take even longer than that. Curtis, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Damien. Thanks to my guest today. He's Chronicle reporter Curtis Alexander. Thanks to King Kaufman and Gary Baca for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.